Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We did a series which we started a couple of weeks ago called He Shall Be Called. And we're going to continue that this morning. He shall be called. And it's based upon the Old Testament prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which reads, "For uh, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. This series that we're presently in addresses these four names given to the soon coming Messiah. It was penned by the prophet Isaiah. He penned these words some 700 years before Jesus came to planet Earth. And it was written at a very turbulent time for Israel. There was much fear and there was much doubt and there was much worry going on in that nation. And it's into this context that this prophecy comes. And this prophecy reveals something about the character and the nature of the coming Messiah in relationship to our need. It reveals who He is and what only He can do. Week one, we looked at the fact that He is wonderful counsellor. Last week, Kath shared about mighty God. And these messages are all available to download on our podcast channel, our Beanpod channel, and also our website. So please have a listen to these again and again and again and get them into your hands of your family and friends. And we're going to continue this series today with part three, that is, He shall be called Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father was a title of royalty. You see, kings in ancient times claimed to be fathers. They saw their position of one of high authority and they declared themselves to be the father of nations. Whatever nations they were ruling over, they declared themselves to be the father of that particular nation, bringing leadership, bringing rulership, bringing wisdom, making decisions. It was a title of authority. It was a title of royalty. However, their fatherhood only lasts as long as their kingly rulership. It was temporary, in other words. But Isaiah declared that there is a Messiah to come and He shall be called Everlasting Father, which is an incredible statement to make. It's one that brought much hope and joy to the people who were living in troubled, turbulent times. And this represented and referred to the soon coming Messiah. Now, for all the Bible scholars out there, you would know that the Messiah was Jesus and Jesus is not God the Father. He is indeed God the Son. And to you, I would say you would be absolutely correct. But we are not addressing here the role of Father in Jesus' life so much as the attributes that Jesus displayed of His heavenly Father. He's talking about the relationship that the Messiah would have with His people. In John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus said it this way, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has already seen the Father. How can you say you don't know the Father? 
See, this is not the role of Jesus to be the Father, but this is the attributes that Jesus displayed. He showed us what the Father was like. The Father is not the Messiah's role within the Godhead, but it's the Messiah's character toward us. Does that make sense this morning? So for all you scholars out there, let's just uh, take a deep breath and understand what the prophet is saying here. Jesus displayed the qualities and the characteristics and the nature of God the Father, so much so that Jesus said to His disciples, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You won't learn any more about the Father than watching my life. Having said all that and made that point hopefully loud and clear, I am very mindful that just the mention of the word Father puts some anxiety in the lives and minds of people. There are certain subjects that I have to be sensitive when I share. When I share about money, for example, I have to be sensitive because people are very sceptical when it comes to the church and money. And so I have to do an introduction by way of settling people whenever I talk about money. If you listen to any message I've ever shared on money, I will take my time bringing people on the journey and hopefully, hopefully helping them to settle in order to receive what I'm about to receive. But I also realise there are other subjects just like that one. And when I mention the Father, this is another subject that needs sensitivity because fathering means different things to different people. And the reason is because we are tainted usually by our past. We look to the future through our past. For example, I don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant and you had bad food. And because of that one bad experience in your past, you haven't got a good thing to say about that restaurant. You'll never go to it again. In actual fact, every time you drive past it and see the logo of that restaurant, there's a kind of a churning in your stomach because it's affected you that much. It wouldn't matter that they've got a new chef. It wouldn't matter that they've changed hands. It wouldn't matter that things have changed. Your experience in the past is dictating every decision you make in the future and you're never open to that restaurant ever again. Maybe you bought a lemon of a car once upon a time and the brand of that car is now tainted for all time and history for you. You'll never buy another whatever it may be. I experienced that more recently. You see, I was in the hunt for a new car and because uh, I don't know much about cars, and I've been very honest and open about that for many, many years, I don't know much about cars. When it comes to cars, I didn't get a lot of manly genes. I don't know what it is. It just, it's just the way it is. But I did get Danny Guglielmucci to help me find the right car for me. And uh, Danny was looking around for quite some time. And in his search, he said, Tony, I've come across this car. It's not yet on the market, but it's coming out. And you have the opportunity to get in first. And uh, he tells me all about it, so it sounds great. And then he, I said, well, what kind of car is it? He says, it's a Kia. <laughs> now, I'm not a car guy, and I don't know much about cars, but I do know that Kias are not good. <laughs> and I said to Danny, I said, Danny, I thought you were my friend. You were meant to help me get a decent car and you're going to give me a car that's a lemon. No, everyone knows that Kia's are not good cars. I know that because our youth pastor, he drives one. They're not good cars. The kind of cars a youth kind of passed the budget kind of car. And 
He said, no, no, seriously, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. He says, but seriously, get down to the Royal Show. They're going to have one on display there. It's brand new. It's coming in the uh, new year. Um, have a look at it. And so I go, I go to the Royal Adelaide Show. I find myself sitting in this car, smelling this car, touching this car. I can almost taste this car. I thought, gee, this is a nice car. But the thing that was bothering me was the badge. I kept looking, I was walking, out, I was walking around this car, and every time I came to the badge, I went, Ugh. oh, I like the wheels, the brakes are amazing. I love the colour, the badge. Uh, but wow, twin turbo, oh, wow, it's a oh, the badge. And so I said to the guy, I said, hey, is there any way of buying the car and debadging it? <laughs> I'm not even a car guy, but it's affected me that much. We are often dictated by our past without even knowing it. I've never owned a Kia. I don't even know much about cars. I just heard on the grapevine that Kias were not good cars. And it's tainted my thinking. Can anyone relate to what I'm talking about this morning? And I believe that is true when it comes to how we view fathers. I would say that when it comes to fathering, we need to change our lenses. Because if we're honest with ourselves, our view of what a father is usually comes from what our father was. And there are different experiences when it comes to how we were raised with our fathers. Some grew up with Father Christmas dads, and we see through everything through, whatever I asked my dad, he just gave me. And we were spoiled. And we don't understand when God wants to hide something from us, when God doesn't want to give us something, because my dad gave me everything I ever wanted. He's like Father Christmas. And we view God through that way. And so we give our life to Jesus, because who doesn't want salvation? And who doesn't want blessing and prosperity? And when there's a moment in life where you don't get what you've always got, you say, oh, forget that. The problem is we need to change our lenses. Others view God as that absent, distant, abusive guy. And even the mentor of father in this room today, there's a churning in your stomach. Some of you are fighting to even listen to me. You're finding yourself turning off, shutting down, because you don't want to hear another thing about fathers. Because fathering represents pain to you. It represents loneliness to you. It represents abuse to you. It represents shouting. It represents a hand lifted. It represents a threat to you. If I'm honest, I would have to say to both of these extremes, I can't relate. Because I was graced with an incredible father, and I'm so grateful for that. But we are a church that is here for your reality. And whatever your reality is, whether it's the Father Christmas version 
of Father God or whether it's the abusive absent version, we are here to help you. And I would say the way that we can help you is by taking off our glasses and stop looking at fatherhood, particularly Father God, through the lens of our earthly father, through the lens of our past, through the lens of our experience, through the lens of our pain. But we need to view our heavenly father through the lens of Scripture. The way I can best help you is point you to the Word of God and show you according to Scripture what our Heavenly Father is like. Because let's be honest, none of us have a perfect Father. My dad was a great Father, but he's not a perfect Father. I'm a dad of three kids and I'm certainly not a perfect dad. I'm doing my best. I'm trying hard to get it right, but I'm not perfect. And if our kids' view of God stops at my example, their example of God is going to fall well short of who He really is. I love being a dad. I'm doing okay. But honestly, I want our kids to know that I'm not the model of our Heavenly Father. He is so much bigger. He is so much better. I don't want their view of God to be limited to my experience. I want them to have a high view of God and the highest view of God we can have is not the realities that we see around us. The highest view of God that we can have is when we look at God through the lens of Scripture. And that's what I aim to do today, looking at it through the lens of Scripture. So whether you have a good example as a dad or a bad example of a dad, hey, we're all in this together. And I want us to stop projecting Onto God, our Heavenly Father, our earthly Father realities. Are you with me this morning? We have a God that is an everlasting Father. An everlasting Father is two Hebrew words, Abbey meaning Father and Ad meaning everlasting or eternal or unceasing in duration. It has no beginning. He has no end. He existed before time began and He will exist for all time and all eternity. He has no beginning. He has no end. The Bible declares that our Father is omniscient, which means that He is all-knowing. Let me turn to the Scriptures just for a moment. Psalm 139, which is one of my favourite Psalms of all the Psalms. Psalm 139, reading the first four verses, simply says this, O Lord, You have searched me and You know me. This is an amazing thought that God knows us. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. God knew I would just say that. What I just said, God knew even before I said it because He's God. You didn't know what I was going to say, but God did. He's amazing. He's omniscient, which simply means He's all-knowing which is an amazing thought. He knows you. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you did this morning. He knows what you did just this week. He knows what you did at the beginning of this year. He knows what you did as a 10-year-old. He knows what you did as a baby. He knows you. Some of you think, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Here's a cool thing. Not only does He know you, but He loves you. 
Each and every one of you in this room today is fully known and fully loved. This is an amazing thought. Not that only God knows you. That can put terror into you. But He loves you. You say, oh, but you don't know what I did last night. I don't. And I don't need to, but God does. And He still loves you. Do you know why relationships break up so much? Marriages break up so much? It's because people get to know each other. See, when, we, when we're young, we, we fall in love with an image of someone. It could be how they look. It could be how they sing. It, it, it's an image, and we fall in love with the image, and then we get to know, them, eh, I don't know if I like you anymore. That's human nature. Some of us get married, and the longer we get uh, live together, we get to know each other more, and the things we know about each other, we just ah. Uh. Half of my marriage counselling with people is this. They'll tell me what their husband is doing. And he's telling me what his wife is doing. And they use these words, she always does that. And he'll say, or she'll say, he always does that. And I'm like, this is great news. You're telling me that you know each other. And the fact that you know each other means that you can actually work around that because you know. But we don't use what we know about people to our advantage. We use it against each other and it ends in divorce, separation and the breakdown of relationships. Whereas God knows us. And he continues to love us, which is amazing. Judas betrayed Jesus and Jesus looks at Judas and calls him friend. But didn't he know he was going to betray him? Yeah, I know you're going to betray him, but I'm still going to call you friend. This is amazing. He's omniscient. Not only is he omniscient, but he's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. Let's read in Job chapter 9. Job chapter 9, verse 4 says this. His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? I love this. He moves mountains without knowing it and overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and makes its pillars tremble. He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treat, uh, tre- tread sorry, on the waves of the sea. I mean, this is an incredibly powerful God. It goes on to say in Job 39 verse 22, He laughs at fear for He is afraid of nothing. This is an amazing thing. Not only does He know you, but He can also protect you. He's so powerful. And so when you feel weak, and we all feel weak from time to time, then our strength comes from knowing that He is strong. Paul, the great apostle who wrote much of the New Testament, had this revelation. He says, when I'm weak, I'm actually strong. He says, that doesn't make sense. Yes, it does when you understand and you see it through the lens of Scripture. When I'm weak, I am strong because that's when I give myself to God. Sometimes we're at our weakest when we think we're strong. Because when we think we're strong, we do it in our own strength. But when we know we're weak and we can't do this and I just had enough, God says, good, I can help you. I can help you. Reminds me of that story of the little boy who needed to lift this big stone into the wheelbarrow. And he's standing there with his dad and his dad said, come on, son, use all your strength. And he's standing there going, ooh, just like that. And he couldn't move. He says, son, 
are you using all your strength? And he says, yes, I am. They says, try again. And he goes, no. And he says, kid's getting mad. His face is going red, starting to sweat. His dad says, son, are you using all your strength? Now his son is getting mad. He says, yes, I am, dad. He says, try again. One more time. He just can't move it. He says, dad, I've tried. I've used all my strength. To which the dad responds, says, no, you haven't. Because you didn't ask for my help. How many times in life do we do this life by ourselves? And God the Father is watching over us. I can, I can help you. He's just not asking me. And God's saying, um, are you done? With a little tantrum? Little red-faced tantrum, sweaty boy? You done? And we blame God. I don't know if you ever played this game growing up. My dad's better than your dad. Or my dad can beat your dad up. Did anyone do that? I did. And this is what I found out. I'd walk in on these conversations. These kids, my dad's better than your dad. Your dad. And so when I stepped in and said, oh, my dad can beat all your dads up. And never went, eh, game over. Tony wins. Because <laughs> my dad was into powerlifting and bodybuilding and he's looked after himself and he was fit and healthy and, and he could pretty much beat up most dads. And, but it gave me a great picture of what God the Father was like. That actually, my dad is better than every other dad, including my dad. My heavenly Father is far greater. He's the wisest. He's the bravest. He's the strongest. He's the greatest artist ever. I mean, my dad's also an artist and he's painted some great pictures. But I don't know if you saw the sunset last night. <laughs> What a picture. My dad did that. And this morning, the sun rising up. From the rising of the sun to the going down. That's, yeah. My dad did that. My dad did that. See the waves. And you see the sea. I don't know if you ever watched the sea and it just stops. It goes back. I stand there. Like, when it stops, it see that, kids? My dad did that. Stop right there. So cool. So I did that with our kids. You see that? See a little crab come up, watch it. My dad created that. It's awesome. I don't know what your past is. I don't know what your upbringing is like. But don't let it taint the true character and nature of our Heavenly Father. Not as the only omniscient and omnipotent, but he's also omnipresent, which means he's ever present. Again, Psalm 139 verse 7 says this, where can I go from your spirit? I love this. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. He's saying, no matter how high I go, or how low I go, you are there. This is good news. For you who are experiencing incredible high, as I am off the back of last weekend, God is there. For you who are experiencing incredible lows because of this time of year, and it reminds you of a loss, hey, God is there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me Fast. 
He is a God that knows you. He is a God that is able to protect you. But he's also a God who is present. He's there for you. The Bible says it this way, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll be with you all the time. And for me, that's incredible news. Because we live in a society that suffers greatly from ADD. And it's not the ADD you're thinking of. This ADD stands for Absent Dad Disorder. So many of our young people, even in this blessed church, suffer from absent dads. They're just not around. And even the ones that are around, they're not engaged. They're on their computers. They're watching the television. They're doing their hobbies. They're working on their futures. And the children are growing up before their very eyes, missing their dads. Don't let that version of fatherhood rob you of our Heavenly Father. He is a Father that is present. He is a Father that is there for you. He's a Father that will never, ever leave you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And all these attributes and all these nature of God the Father were seen in Jesus the Son. See, one of the primary roles of Jesus was to reveal the Father, to show us what the Father was really like. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus is not the Father. Jesus is the Son. But He represented the Father in every way. If you want to know what the Father in heaven looks like, all you got to do is read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and you'll see the character and the nature of God the Father displayed in everything that Jesus Himself did. Not only did He show us what the Father looks like, but He told us what the Father was like in many ways through example, through stories. One story in particular he told is found in Luke chapter 15. It's the story or the parable of what we have come to know as the prodigal son. But to be honest, that story is not really about the son, that story is really about the father. And Jesus told us about this man to highlight to us what the father is like. This father had two sons. One son, the older one, stayed at home. The younger one, the younger ones are always a problem, hey? And the younger one comes up and says to the dad, hey dad, give me my inheritance now. I'm out of here. Now, what you need to understand is when it comes to an inheritance, an inheritance is something you receive only when a parent dies. So this is what the son is effectively saying to his dad. Dad, you're dead to me. 
Dad, I want nothing to do with you anymore. Give me what is mine. Why should I wait for you to die? You're already dead to me. Give me my inheritance now. And the father gives him the inheritance. And the son grabs all his money. And for a moment in time, he's got lots of friends. It's amazing who become your friend when you've got money. In actual fact, I'll say this, it's amazing who become your friend at summertime when you've got a swimming pool. Just saying. (laughs) Just throwing that out there. But as is the case, he lost his money, which means he lost his friends. And he found himself in a pig pen eating with the pigs. And he had this revelation, and I'm trusting that we would have a similar revelation. He says, you know what? This is ridiculous. I was better off in my father's house. I know church isn't perfect, but I do believe with all of my heart that church at its worst is still better than the world at its best. It's not perfect. And this young man had this revelation. I was better off in my father's house. So he came to his knees. He came to his senses. And then he started coming home. And he says, you know, I'm going to repent. I'm going to let my father know that I've blown it. I'm going to tell him I'll be a hired hand. No longer worthy to be called his son. But what we see is the response of a loving father. Jesus told us categorically that the father in this story represents the father in heaven. And he loves you. The father saw him. The Bible says, and he was filled with compassion for his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. I love the fact that my son's not too cool or too old for me to still kiss him. I love that. And this father kisses his son, modeling and showing and displaying unconditional love. As I said before, it doesn't matter what you've been up to, God knows. God knows, but he also loves you. He's a loving father. I don't know what your experience of fathering's like, but our Heavenly Father is madly and passionately in love with each and every one of you. Can we have the band come? That'd be great. There's so many points you can get out of this, and really I just want to just give you a taste. I want you to go and read the story for yourself. But not only do we see from this story that he's a loving father, but he's also a committed father. The Bible says that the father was looking for his son. See, God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. But he will let you go. If you want to go off and do your own thing, he'll let you go because he loves you that much. He gave us the greatest gift of all. That was free will. We're not robots. He doesn't make us do anything. But in letting us go, he's waiting for us. He's committed to us. And the Bible says that when the young man was a long way off, he saw him. Which means he wasn't at home sulking. Which means that he wasn't on his iPad or his television. But he actually was waiting for his son. I imagine it was something like this. I wonder if it's today. Not today. Maybe tomorrow. Father goes to bed with a joy that maybe tomorrow is the day. 
Not today. Hey, you know what? That just means we're one closer to that day because he's coming back. I know my son's coming back. God is committed to us. He gets out the next day. No, not today. That means we're one day closer to the next. Not today. That means we're one day closer. And then there's one day he sees him. He recognises him and he runs to him. Why? Because he's committed to you. He's committed to me. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't give up on us. He saw him from a distance because he's committed. Not only is he committed, but he's also a forgiving father. I want you to get this. Because in the time that Jesus told this story, the father had the right to turn his back on his son. The father had the right to make him a slave. An earring back in the day signified that you were someone's slave. Basically, this young man at best was going back, hoping his dad would make him a slave, which means they'd put him up against a post with his ear and they put a stake through his ear and that earring would represent that he belonged to somebody. Not only did the father in the time that Jesus told this story have the right to turn his back on him and make him a slave, but he also had the right to slit his throat from ear to ear for dishonouring the family name. And the father in this story doesn't slit his throat, doesn't make him a slave and doesn't turn his back on him. Jesus is telling us what the heavenly father is like. He forgives us of all of our sins and he remembers them no more. This young man was in a pig pen. He may have looked like a pig. He may have smelt like a pig. He may have sounded like a pig. But not at any stage in this story did this young man stop being the father's son. And I don't know what it is that you've been doing. I don't know what it is that you've been up to. I don't know what you do. But know this, you have never ever stopped being a son or a daughter of the living God. And He's never stopped loving you. He's never been more committed to you than He is right now. Because He loves you. And I would hate your earthly father to be the model of what our heavenly father is. No one is that good. No one is that gracious. No one is that big. No one is that strong. No one is that protective. The only example we've ever seen on planet Earth is Jesus Himself. He modelled it in every way and He told this incredible story. And He said that the Father was not only forgiving, but He was also a giving Father. He didn't make this difficult for His Son. The Son's just going there, can I just have some of the scraps as a slave? He said, no, none of that. We're going to kill the fattened calf. We're going to put rings on your fingers, bells on your toes. We're going to give you new clothes. Because you're my son. And we're going to celebrate this moment. The older son, he didn't get it. He was mad. He goes, what are you doing this for? I didn't get a fattened calf. He missed the moment. If you were to ask me as a pastor, what's the rudest thing someone can do in a service? It'd be this. When it comes to the moment where I ask people to shut their eyes and bow their heads, as we pray for and intercede for those that are far from God, making a decision to come to God. When we see that as a moment for us to duck out and get in the line first to get a coffee 
or to get out early before all the cars start getting out. I think we become like the older brother in that story. Because the father said to the son, he said, you don't, you don't get it. Our son's back. Your brother's back. This is worthy of a celebration. What do you mean you're missing out? You had me every day. Your son was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. Now he's found. This is a moment of celebration. And so when we have that moment, as we will do in just a little while, and I say, let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. Doesn't mean we go to sleep. That means we have a job to do. Because in that moment, as, as Christians, we, we use that time to pray for those making a decision. And having made a decision, we use that time to celebrate. So, so we are very active in that moment. That is not a moment where Christians just dial out. That is a moment when we get active. We're going to pray, and then we're going to celebrate. Because when someone comes from life to death, someone that was lost and was found, that is worthy of celebrating. And all these things are modelled in this incredible story. I wonder if you stand with me this morning. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 